broadcasting on the evening in WCPT 820, Chicago's Progressive Talk, and in the afternoon on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota and Minneapolis-St. Paul. It is the Matt McNeil Show for your Thursday. Good to have you with us. Good to have back to the show Matt Robeson, writer, podcast host, political analyst who focuses on trends in demographics, psychology, policy, and economics that are shaping American politics. His work has been featured extensively in Newsweek, Alternate, and Raw Story. He spent a decade working on Capitol Hill as a legislative director and chief of staff for three members of Congress. Also joining us, Congressman Paul Hode, serving two terms as a U.S. congressman from New Hampshire's 2nd Congressional District. He began his legal career in New Hampshire as an assistant attorney general under then-attorney general David Souter, uh, was elected to Congress in 2006, was chosen as the president of the historic 2006 freshman class. Together, they host the podcast, Beyond Politics, and they're kind enough today to join us to talk about a little bit about Iowa, but as well talk to us a little bit as well about New Hampshire and what's coming up next. Gentlemen, Congressman, thank you very much. I appreciate the time. Sure. Happy I like how here. you separate congressman from gentleman. That's very apt. Well, it's it, gentleman, Matt. I, actually, Matt, I'm going to start with you with your Newsweek article that you just put out because you, I think, might have been the first person to touch on this with Trump in Iowa and that he's not this fresh-faced new candidate. He is, you know, he's far closer to an incumbent than he is to a new person. So a 51% turnout for him is actually really low. And I don't think he should be touting the success of Iowa. I think that actually that was a really bad showing for him in Iowa. Absolutely. Matt, for all of your Chicago and Minnesota listeners and viewers, if you woke up Tuesday morning and you started reading some of the coverage in the Washington Post, Chicago Tribune, Chicago Sun-Times, Minneapolis Star, pick your news outlet of choice. You could have gone to CNN. You could have gone anywhere. And they're all crowing about what they call the Trump romp, Trump domination, Trump crushes in Iowa. And you thought to yourself, wait, really? Am I what? Am I taking crazy <laughs> pills? You are not alone. I was on text chains with former members of Congress and chiefs of staff like me and politicos and political scientists and professors. And we're all saying to ourselves, wait, I thought I was the only one. Yes, Matt, you're right. Two thirds of Republican caucus goers in Iowa told pollsters on their way into the caucus that they thought that Donald Trump was the legitimate president of the United States. In their mind, he's the incumbent. So the incumbent president of the United States in their mind gets half, half. And not only that, he could only motivate 8% of the 700,000 odd registered Republicans, and I do mean odd, in Iowa to show up. Half of them he inspired to vote for him. The other half, he inspired to vote against him. And somehow our stenographic, you know, like toadying, easily cajoled media all bands together and says, a crushing major win. Are you kidding me? And so I was compelled to write this up in Newsweek. Well, he, he, go ahead, Paul. He got 4% of <laughs> Iowa's Republic, registered Republicans. He got 4%. We were on, a, we were on somebody else's show uh, today, and they tried to make an excuse. They said, <laughs> well... It was really cold. Oh, said, it was really. Come on. Yeah, come on. Things <laughs> were terrible is, in there. This is, this is the Midwest. You know, I mean, they play football in minus seven degrees. They can put on their overcoats and boots. They can get in their cars. They can drive to the nice heated basements and gyms and get out the vote if they're really enthusiastic. 
4% of Iowa's Republicans were enthusiastic enough to give the great orange Cheeto pig a, a, a romping victory. Well, I went back and looked. Uh, about the most closest we could find recently was Carter in 1980 because he had Ted Kennedy challenging him. And Carter still got 59% of the vote and more votes than Trump did. But at the same time, the narrative off that was this massively divided Democratic Party. Oh, how are they ever going to come together? Which played a role in 1980 in Reagan's election. The the way that they're the it's portrayed now, I mean, and Trump's showing was worse. Now, once again, not exactly the same equal comparison, not an incumbent, but as close as to an incumbent as you can get. And yet they act as if him only getting basically half of the votes that showed up is somehow this this bellwether of America. You know what really frosts me um, <laughs> while we're talking about the weather, Matt? Yes, it's 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 the entire look. You're a fan. You you know that I, I do a video channel with your frequent guest, Cliff Schechter, Indeed. who's an alpha liberal like you, right? Like, no, no bones about it. And, you know, like, he loves to do takedowns on the media. I do, too. It's fun. But in this case, this stuff really matters because we're fresh off of polls in New Hampshire showing that both Haley and Trump have gained in standing in New Hampshire since the Iowa caucus, but it's for very different reasons. What the polls are showing is that Haley has gained because Chris Christie dropped out yeah. and she's inherited most of his supporters. Trump has also gained an equal amount, but what his people are telling pollsters is, well, we saw how he did in Iowa, meaning you read the media narrative about it and you figured, oh, okay, so Trump is gaining political support. He's gaining votes. He's gaining momentum because of the media narrative. And it's it's so it, it it's it's scandalous in a way because here's an example of how the media does this, right? You're a member of the media. Shame on you, McNeil. It, here's an example of how ah. they do this. ABC News does an article, right? Where yes. they talk about their entrance polls and they deliver themselves of the following tangled English sentence. By a split of 63% to 32%, respondents to the entrance poll say they'd consider Trump fit for office despite a conviction. So let's unpack that, my friends. They are leading with the idea of, hey, 63% say that they would consider him fit for office. This is a strong point, even if he is convicted of any of the 91 felony counts pending against him. Um, okay, let's invert this for a second. One third, one third of the most MAGA heartland Republicans available on planet Earth are saying, if he gets convicted, we will drop him. He will, we will fold on him faster than Superman on laundry day. And they somehow bury this nugget seven paragraphs deep in their analysis and they give it backwards. This is the problem. No, it, it, so why are they doing why why are they doing it? Why are we having redux of 2016 when the media distinguished themselves by never saying anything about Trump that really gave anybody a, a glimmer of a chance to think about who they were electing? Why are they doing it? They they do they want the coronation or do they prefer a horse race? What is it? I I think it's the money thing. I really do. I think these are there. There are so much business network back in 1976 was way ahead of everyone on this. Saw where this is all going. And it's basically that they don't want to blow out victory because a blowout victory means not enough money. 
and they want that cash. But I also think the purged newsrooms where they're basically scrambling to try to cover news, it's just too easy to print the talking points from a political party. Now, if we can, I want to step off into New Hampshire. And Congressman, it's an absolute privilege to chat with you. Thank you very much. I really am excited to have you here uh, because it, you will be able to give us a really good view of what things are like on the ground. What, what is New Hampshire? Give us a, what is the difference between Ohio, uh, Iowa and New Hampshire? How do things change for the race as it goes there? Well, look, everybody in New Hampshire thinks they are a the political expert and the kind of pundit that Matt Robeson actually is. Um, but everybody in New Hampshire would be able to fill you with opinions and perspective and thoughts and their history. And they would tell you about the time in 1988 when I had uh, um, this candidate or that candidate in my living room. And then I chalked up I chalked up that candidate at the coffee shop. And then I went over to the library and I saw that candidate. And in fact, it's true because in New Hampshire, you do get to meet meet the candidates. Everybody's an hour or two, two away. But the media, again, has this view of New Hampshire as this quaint little backwater populated by hobbits uh, where they come out with, well, their, furry feet, with their furry feet and uh, and, and, and New every, Hampshire, <laughs> New Hampshire. And, and, and every four years we, we conduct this quaint little ritual. Well, so folks in New Hampshire are pretty politically savvy because remember this, Matt, you got a population of 1.3 million people. You got 400 state legislators 400 who all get paid a hundred dollars a year so politics is like in our in the blood it's mm -hmm. a state sport and every two years everybody runs so there's always a campaign going on in new hampshire nobody knows are you running for congress are you running for the state legislature i mean it doesn't matter you're going to concord you're going to washington you're all a bunch of crooks anyway what what does it matter there's a strong libertarian bent here. In fact, there was a project to take over New Hampshire politics by libertarians, um, which to some degree has been successful. But also the makeup here is pretty interesting. 30% Dems, 30% arms, 40% independence. And one of the defining characteristics that we'll be seeing is that those 40% undeclared voters can take either a Republican ballot or a Democratic ballot during the primary. Mm -hmm. And right now, we are thinking that a lot of those undeclared voters are going to be taking a Republican ballot because they are really interested in what's going on. And there's a certain cadre of those undeclareds who may ultimately end up voting for Democrats, but here could say, you know, we want to be the granite bulwark that stops the great orange Cheeto on his march to dictatorship. We're going to go in and vote for Nikki Haley. Well, she's crazy, but at least she's she's not Trump crazy. Well, and Matt, do you think in New Hampshire, I mean, because here's the problem that Iowa exposed is there's just enough Republicans in Trump's camp to doom them and that they're going to be stuck with this guy, and it's going to be toxic down the line. But is that true? In New Hampshire, Matt, do you think that there is enough enough wiggle room that we might actually see an upset here, that, or at least close enough to where it makes these next contest, Nevada, South Carolina, stuff like that, makes them more interesting? Not among Republicans, but I'll, I'll share a fun party trick 
with <laughs> all your listeners and viewers, okay? If you want to sound smart at a party over the next few days, if the conversation turns to politics, um, here's what you do, okay? You point out what Paul just said. And, you know, there, there's 40% are independents. We call them undeclareds in New Hampshire for no reason. And what polling shows us is that Trump is winning registered Republicans by about 30 points, but Haley is winning registered undeclareds by about 30 points. So when the conversation turns to, will Trump maybe lose, will Haley win? And they start talking about polls. Here's what you do to sound really smart. You say, well, it all depends in this poll on how the pollster decides to weight the number of independents and undeclareds versus Republicans, because that's actually true. Yeah. Basically, pollsters make assumptions, right? They have to make guesses about who's going to show up. There's no like written in stone rule for like who's going to show up to these things. And so they make guesses. We're actually having the number one pollster in New Hampshire. He runs the CNN poll. He's on our show on Beyond Politics tomorrow. We're going to talk about this. So they make guesses. The ones that are guessing that more Republicans than undeclareds are going to show up are going to show that Trump is going to run away with this. The ones who are guessing, actually, we may get an equal number or more undeclareds, they're going to show Haley very competitive. So when you see polls, you're at a cocktail party, say, oh, see that result. They oversampled undeclareds, and you'll you'll sound like a genius. Uh, I see. At well, least to nerds. Well, and can I just go with the math you guys have described? If 40% uh, are, ind are independent, and 30% of them are supporting Nikki Haley, which is a larger number than the Trump supporters on the Republican side, this is actually, this could end up being really close or a Haley victory. It could be. The problem you run into is that, first of all, registered Republicans have a habit of showing up in Republican primaries, whereas undeclared voters don't necessarily. They actually have the option to show up on the Democratic side. And a lot of them may be Democratic-leaning undeclareds. In political operative circles, when you see independents, what you think to yourself is, most of those aren't really independent, right? They're, they're not really swing voters. The estimate of actual swing voters in America is somewhere between six and 9%, far, far away from the 40% of undeclareds you see in New Hampshire. So what you might see in this primary is a lot of truly democratic performing undeclareds showing up and the math doesn't quite work out. I'll let you finish that thought when we come on back. Matt Robeson is joining us. Paul Hodes is joining us. It is, of course, the Beyond Politics podcast. We'll talk with them more when we come back. It's the Matt McNeil Show. Broadcasting in Minneapolis, St. Paul, and in Chicago, it's the Matt McNeil Show. Matt Robeson and Paul Hodes joining us from the Beyond Politics podcast. By the way, I should mention really quick, guys, where you can find that podcast pretty much everywhere they you find your podcast nowadays. You can find that podcast pretty much everywhere you can find your podcast nowadays. We're also on the Blue Amp channel on YouTube if you want to see us. But, I mean... We're, we're, we're happy if you don't see our faces. I have a face made for radio, so, you know, it's okay. You could just listen. I I was in this age long before they decided to put this on a screen somewhere. But, okay, guys, sure. All right. Desperate for content. I can see that. But uh, find it. Beyond Politics, the podcast, exceptional commentary uh, from Matt and Paul. 
Uh, okay, so have you seen my congressman, Dean Phillips? He's my congressman. I haven't seen him. Has he been stroming across New Hampshire at this point? Can you tell him to call home so you, you know, just check in every once in a while? You know, he and Marianne Williamson are, are holding hands and tiptoeing oh, through the New Hampshire tulips. Um, I've, seen, I've seen a lot of his advertisements on television. They, he looks um, smooth and rich and young and inexperienced and he's uh, you know he doesn't want people to vote for joe and um, he's visiting the coffee shops and hoping that reporters are going to follow him and between dean and marianne you've got a real show uh, for democrats can i let you in on a, a fun little secret so first of all if you ever watch congress on c-span which you shouldn't and please don't you will see that it looks like when members of Congress are addressing the floor, it looks like there are people around them looking seriously at them. There are not. There are three people in the in the room. Um, it's it, it's kind of all made up for TV, right? It's it's actually usually a completely empty chamber. It's it's a weird thing. Paul, it was weird, right? Like when you'd speak on the floor, hey, you're look, like I, pretending you're speaking to a crowd. I always wanted my own TV show. I just didn't know it was going to be C-SPAN with nobody watching. So you'd be talking about important constitutional issues. And there's nobody there but your buddies who are waiting for their five minutes of glory on the empty house floor at the middle of the night when nobody is awake except people like us who are listening to members of Congress spout stuff that generally we're making up on the spot. And I only bring that up by way of saying that when you see an image of Dean Phillips doing something in New Hampshire, I assure you that it is similarly kind of made up. Um, it's like the moon landing. Like it's, it's, it's all a studio set. I'm kidding. I'm joking people. The moon landing was real. Um, you, you know, I've been at the spot. Like I see these pictures, Dean Phillips making campaign announcement, downtown Concord, New Hampshire. Okay. I used to live, I mean, Paul, you lived in Concord for like 33 freaking years. Um, you know, I, I used to work there every day. I know that corner. That corner where, where he's making this announcement, and it looks like in front of a crowd, is in front of your old congressional office, Paul. And I assure you that the people who are there are his handful of campaign staff. No one wow. is looking. Um, you can tell in the background. That's that's the story of his whole campaign. No one cares. No one cares. He has the it's traction the no of roller derby on ice. You know, we he was in my studio about back when he first ran in 2018, and it, he came across as the second coming of Paul Wellstone. And today, I have, I mean, I have no idea where this guy is going. I, you know, he he struck out before the 20 uh, 2022 election, and was making comments about how he didn't agree with Joe Biden, and that didn't make any dang sense whatsoever. But this whole notion, it, it, he's not going to, what, what's he going to get? 2%, 3% New Hampshire? Or do you think he'll actually get a little bit more? Well, remember, it's a write-in effort for Biden because of the whole thing. Look, if you're enough of a political nerd that you are, um, you know, like really into this, you can look up the whole thing with the DNC and the yeah. rules and who cares? The point is Joe Biden has to be a write-in candidate in the New Hampshire primary, which is silly. Paul Hodes, my co-host, former U.S. congressman, sitting here on this set, is uh, one of the leaders of the write-in campaign. Um, and it is possible, because of what we were talking about a minute ago, that undeclared voters who would normally participate in the Democratic primary might want to go over and vote in the Republican primary. That might depress the kinds of votes that you might normally see for the incumbent president of the United States, Joe Biden. And so, you know, he might do a little bit better. Biden might get down a little bit lower. And then 
I am looking forward to seeing the national media yes. pile yes. on <laughs> yes. and invent headlines. Biden stumbles in New Hampshire. Questions fly. It's like, where were you when Trump got 51% of the 8% who could be bothered to show up for him? Where so were look, you then? Here, here's what here's what's going on with that. The write-in uh, campaign is, uh, by every measure, I think, pretty successful. There's been an awful lot of effort put into reaching out to people. But like everywhere else, nobody's spending all their time thinking about politics. And I think there are going to be some confused people who are going to come to the polls on Tuesday and say, well, I don't see Joe Biden on, on this Democratic ballot. What do I do? And what the poll workers are going to be allowed to say is they're not going to be allowed to say right in Joe Biden. They're going to be allowed to say, well, if somebody doesn't file for the primary in time, they don't make it on the ballot and you can write in the candidate of your choice, which may confuse people even further. So I expect Joe Biden will win the Democratic non-primary because the DNC or Ralph says Nader. it's meaning, meaningless or, or, or Jill Stein or Vladimir Putin. I mean, who, who knows? He'll win. But it may not be as resounding as it would be if he deigned to come to New Hampshire and and sit on the ballot. And Matt, you're exactly right. They're going to have Trump say Trump wins by three points. It's another resounding victory for Trump and say Biden wins by 30. Well, Biden's in trouble. Boy, oh, boy. Is this, <laughs> you can already see that cab coming down the street with his doors wide open, man. You know, you know, what? You, you the three of us need to start a new show. Because we don't have enough shows already. We've got Beyond Politics, we've got Matt McNeil's show. You know, you're crushing it here. In the let let's start a new show called Liberal Media Bias. Let's just let's just do it because the idea of liberal media bias is such horse pucky. It's such is there is there a trenchant Midwest expression for this? It's such it's such poutine. It's such it's it's <laughs> well, poutine. Uh, some people actually like poutine. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, we can't go down that. Delicious, well, delicious, but I wouldn't be careful. The west side of Manchester, they love poutine. So just you, you watch out there, gentlemen. I will have to cut this there, but thank you so much. I can't. I appreciate the time. Stay sane for the next few days. Do my you do your best to stay sane there, Congressman Paul Hodes, Matt Robeson. Uh, gentlemen, all my best. And once again, find the Beyond Politics po podcast wherever you get your podcast. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Thanks a lot, Matt. Matt. You bet. Take care, Chicago. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Minneapolis, St. Paul, hour two next.